Y'all may be seated. Man, I love to hear Heath sing. This is my story. This is my song. There you go. I got a, you got a lot I like that smoky sound there. Luke chapter 7 in your Bibles. I, I want to ask you this question right off the bat. In what area of your life is God really working on you and really drawing you to spiritual growth right now? For me, uh, for the past decade, the answer has pretty well been the same. God has been working on me to grow me in faith. It seems like over and over and over again, God has been hammering this lesson into me. Lash, don't be so stubborn. I need you to trust me. I need you to be a man of faith. The life and message of Jesus Christ is saturated with faith. It literally drips out of every story in the Gospels. You see it in Jesus' refusal to just manage the carpenter shop there in Nazareth or to stay in Capernaum and live underneath the uh, radar of the Roman Empire. Instead, Jesus marches on to Jerusalem and he takes on the religious leaders and he shares the message of the gospel. You see it whenever Jesus performed miracles, often before Jesus acts. There's this little line in the scriptures, and seeing their faith. You remember the famous story when the Sea of Galilee uh, was in a great storm and the disciples were afraid that they were going to drown. And Jesus rises up and he says, peace be still. And nature obeys the voice of the sun. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, where's your faith? Jesus repeatedly teaches his followers that whenever we place our faith in him, he will take care of us. And so today's story, we find an example. In today's story, we find an example of what it looks like to live in the faith world. Look with me to Luke chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible says, When he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion slave who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. So the passage begins with Jesus had completed all of his sayings. Now, some of the sayings that Jesus had just taught are among the most famous of his teachings. You'll find the Beatitudes, a passage of Scripture that's probably hanging on Grandma's wall somewhere. You find in the most recent section that Jesus had taught us that whenever people persecute us and say all sorts of bad things about us because of Christ's name, that we are to rejoice and be glad because you're in good company. That's how they treated the prophets before you. You find some of the sharper, harder teachings of Jesus as well. You find him teaching that we are to love our enemies and pray for them. You find him teaching us that we are to bring an attitude of restoration to someone whenever they fall, trying to help them get back to where they need to be rather than bringing an attitude of judgment. We hear that Jesus says you're supposed to hear the truth of God and then do what it says so that whenever you build your life, you will be like the wise man who built his life upon the rock instead of the foolish man who built his life upon the sand. So then Jesus returns to this tranquil fishing town known as Capernaum. And when he enters the city, the story takes an interesting twist. The toughest, most battle-hardened men in the Roman Empire, were the centurions. A centurion soldier was over a hundred men. 
They were an officer in the army, and yet at the same time, they were close to the action. They, to a degree, parallel the American sergeant, a tough guy, a tough man, with people under his control, and yet at the same time, right in the middle of the battle. Now, this centurion had a problem, and that is that he had a servant who was highly valued, and that servant was ill. In fact, he was ill to the point of death. Now, it's important for you to understand a little bit about slavery in the ancient world. During the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire was at its height. Now, if you know anything about Rome, they were not nice, cuddly, little, soft individuals. The Roman Empire would come into your region, and they would, with their military, they would conquer you. Now, they would allow you to maintain a degree of freedom, to keep some of your culture, but you were not free. You were subject to them. You would pay Rome a great tax, and if Rome issued an edict, you would obey what the Roman Empire had said. If you refused to do that, they would bring their army, and you would pay the price. So much of the known world was under a form of slavery, having been conquered by Rome. We don't normally consider Jesus and the disciples slaves, but to a degree they were slaves to the Roman Empire because the area where they were born was subject to Rome. Now within the empire there were also lifelong slaves. These were individuals that might have been captured in battle. They were children that were born to slaves. Criminals were sometimes sentenced to a life of slavery. And these lifelong slaves were considered to be property. Then you had short-term slaves. These were individuals that owed a debt that they could not repay quickly. And so within ancient society, one of the ways that you would repay your debt is you would work as a slave. You would enter into essentially a contractual arrangement where you worked as a slave for a period of time in order to pay off your debt. If you owe money to a bank, If you are in debt yourself and you were in the Roman world, then you might be one of these individuals that would have had to work as a short-term slave. So in the New Testament, about half the people were officially classified as slaves. They had limited rights. Now, it depended upon the household that you worked for. In some cases, they were treated almost like family. And in other cases, they were treated like animals, and they had no rights whatsoever. Now, this is just an aside, but one of the greatest contributions that the United States of America has made to world history is the work within this country to abolish slavery and to be a champion of freedom and to be a champion of human rights. And I want to encourage you over the next few days as we lead up to this election to go and vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's for you and God to decide. But I am going to say that in a country where we enjoy freedom, you need to exercise your freedom to go and vote. And you need to be mindful that most people throughout history and many people in the world today have never had that right extended to them even once to go and vote. 
And I realize that there's some discouragement and even cynicism about the political environment in which we live, but that should not negate our responsibility to go and do the very best that we can to vote. Now, this centurion was used to solving problems. Death was a problem that he often caused, but he could not stop it in the case of the one that he loved. This young slave... He couldn't do anything about stopping his illness, and so he turned to Jesus. Verse 3 says, When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some of the Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his slave. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So we have here a centurion who was a Roman soldier, but he was also very respected by the people. He cared about the people of Israel. He also respected their faith. He respected their faith to such a degree that he had even built them a synagogue. And so during his time of need, the Jewish elders were willing to go to Jesus on his behalf. If you want to be a leader, do you want to be a leader at school? Do you want to be a leader in the workplace? Do you want to be a leader in your family or in your community? If you want to be a leader, there's some things that you can learn here. Number one, the best leaders genuinely care about the people that are under them. The best leaders don't just use the people under your authority. The best leaders care about those individuals. And you care about their well-being, and you begin to realize that when they succeed, you succeed. A wise leader encourages faith and family within Jewish society. The hub of faith and family was the synagogue. And so the centurion built the community there in Capernaum, a synagogue where they could study the Scriptures and learn about God, worship together, and they could also have a place within the community where they could come and enjoy one another's company. Servant leaders who care about others in times of need will also have people care about them in their own times of need. And so the elders in the community come to Jesus, and they, the Bible says, plead with Him. Jesus, will you please come and heal the servant? But I want you to notice the heart of their argument. They say, Jesus, will you come and heal him because he's worthy? This centurion loves us. This centurion has done things for us. He is worthy of you coming and doing this for him. The story proceeds in verse 6. Jesus agrees. He, he goes with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, that word worthy needs to jump off the pages of your Bible because it's a key part to understanding this story. The Jewish elders told Jesus, you need to come and heal this servant because this centurion is worthy of the miracle. The centurion, though, sees Jesus a long ways off. He sends his friends out to say, hey, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. 
as a father, I am always amazed at the negotiating skills that my children possess. Am I the only one who has children that have unbelievable negotiating skills? Particularly one of mine, and I won't, I won't rat her out, but her initials are McKenna Banks. But anyway, um, <laughs> she has unbelievable negotiating skills. And so I'll, I'll pick them up at school. Fridays, you know, I always pick them up at school. And, you know, she'll get in the car. She hasn't even gotten in the car. And she says to me, I'm thirsty. And that sentence has been planned out in her mind somewhere along the way because it's just the introductory address. So she gets in her car, and I say, well, you have a drink in your backpack. She goes, I drink it all. I'm like, well, we'll be home soon. It'll be okay. And so we're driving home. No, I don't drive an RV. I don't know why my steering wheel is this big. But. So we're driving home, and uh, we go past the Sonic, and she'll say, hey, Dad, there's a Sonic. Oh, that's, that's nice. Did you know they're having a sale? Oh, really? Half-price drinks. Oh, okay, that's good. Hey, Dad, you really like slushy, don't you? Yeah, I like slushy, slushy. Dad, doesn't a slushy sound good to you? I mean, all the way along. She'll just wear you down. When she grows up, hire her. She will make you a lot of money if you hire her because she's just born with negotiation skills within her. Well, it's been my experience that we often bring negotiating skills into our relationship with God, particularly into our prayer lives. In fact, a lot of us, theologically, we see prayer as just one big negotiation. And so we bring these skills into our talk with God. God, I could really use a raise. Lord, I need this. Lord, you remember that I, I volunteered for the pumpkin patch. I unloaded that truck. It was hard. I, I, I served a gobble fest. God, give me this raise. God, if you heal my friend, I'll go to life group every week and worship. And we start negotiating with God. If we're really, really honest, probably just about everybody in this room, at some point, your prayer life has fallen into a negotiation session. The Jewish elders told Jesus, You should come heal this servant because the centurion is worthy. But the centurion knew the truth. He was not even worthy of the Lord to be present in his house. What he would experience would ultimately have to be an act of grace. Verse 7 says, that is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But then notice the sentence. But say the word, and my servant will be cured. That is a sentence of faith. He is saying to Jesus, I trust you. The power is within you. If you will say the word, I believe my servant will be cured. And right here we see a glimpse of what Jesus truly desired out of the man. He desired for the centurion to have faith. Jesus is constantly forcing his followers to wrestle with faith. Where are you going to place your life's faith? Are you going to put it in your hands, your family's hands? Are you going to put your faith in society's hands? Are you going to put it in politicians' hands? Are you going to place your faith in God's hands? In Christianity, faith is the initial step. We talk about the moment of salvation. Salvation is a step of faith. 
you come to the realization that you are a sinner, that you need God's forgiveness, that you need His grace, so that you might have a relationship with Him through Christ. And God calls us to place our faith in Christ. And this precedes the works that we do for God. It precedes our knowledge increasing about God. God calls us to place our faith in Him. And then, after that, we go to work for God. We start doing things, acts of service. We start living a different way because we are living out our faith. And as we live out our faith, we also study the Word of God. We learn more about God, and so our knowledge of God increases. One of our doctrines is the idea that the Holy Spirit fills the believer, and so the Holy Spirit gives you insight into spiritual matters. Before knowing Christ, you were spiritually dead in the trespasses of your sins, but after knowing Christ, the Holy Spirit makes you alive in Christ, and so the Word of God comes alive to you, and you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you begin to have more and more spiritual insight. Faith naturally leads us to works and knowledge. But then there's this strange irony that begins to take place. As we serve God, as we learn more about God, we often distance ourselves from faith. Sometimes we position our works for God and our knowledge about God as a shield that provides for us a wall of safety and limits our risk. But living in the faith world demands risk. It demands change. It demands trust. It demands that you and I believe in things that we cannot even see. It demands that we abandon control of our lives and trust God with the totality of our life. So sometimes we substitute our works for faith. And we do a lot of great things for God. We serve in the church. We're active. But in your life, are you truly trusting God? Are there areas in your life where if God doesn't intervene, you will fail? Areas in your life that are just dripping with faith. Sometimes we substitute our knowledge for faith. We learn theology. We study the Scriptures. I encourage that. But do you trust God with your life? Faith is where our beliefs about God collide with the realities of real life. And faith reveals the authenticity of our belief. There are moments in life when faith cannot be faked. And this centurion was at one of those intersections. Someone that he loved very much, someone that he valued, was facing death. He now had to trust. And so he says to Jesus, if you will just say the word, I'm trusting you. If you will just say the word, I believe my servant will be cured. Now, I want you to notice his attitude was submissive. It was not a bargaining faith. Look at verse 8. He says to Jesus, For I, too, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. This man knew about having authority, and now he was in a position where he was totally putting himself under God's authority. 
If you go to Amazon.com and you do the proper search, you will find a lot of books that are written within the Christian community that teach something along this line that if you will have a positive attitude, if you will speak the words, that your words then have divine authority, and if you really believe what you're speaking, God will essentially do for you whatever you say. Now, there's a word for that kind of teaching. It's called heresy. It's false theology written by false teachers that will lead you to a false Christianity. Hear me well on this because there's a lot of stuff that's packaged with a lot of flowers and a lot of Christian crosses and things like that, but that doesn't make it good stuff, okay? Any book or any theology that puts you into the position of being God and commanding God and telling God what to do is not true faith, true Christianity. True faith always submits to the authority of God. In Jesus' life, we see that he is equal to God, and yet he also submitted to God the Father's authority. I go to this passage a lot because I think it's the the greatest example of prayer in the Scriptures, and that's the Garden of Gethsemane scene. Jesus goes into the garden. He is troubled by real-life events. And he goes to the Heavenly Father, and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. In other words, this is the desire of my heart. I acknowledge that all things are possible with you. And then there's this sentence, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He finds himself still troubled. He goes to his friends looking for them to give him support and strength and instead finds them sleeping. So he realizes that his refuge is going to be found in prayer. So he goes back into the mouth of the garden. He once again prays the same prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Several lessons that we can glean. Number one, whenever we hurt, we need people to pray with us. And when someone in your life is hurting, Don't be sleeping when they need you to pray. Number two, it's okay to bring the desires of your heart to God. God, this is what's going on. I acknowledge that all things are possible with you. This is what I desire. This is is what I, I plead for. But then don't forget the submission. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. True faith always submits to the authority of God. The centurion soldier was a man of great earthly authority. He was used to giving orders. He was used to having people follow his command. But the centurion realized that in the faith world, he lived under the authority of God. Living in the faith world means I don't call the shots. God is writing the story of your life. And you live it one page at a time. Sometimes God adds chapters to to my life that I would have never written. He brings about twists and turns. You You wouldn't have written that into your life. But when you live in the faith world, you trust God. You follow God one step, one page at a time, and you believe in His eternal love for you. And when you find yourself doubting His love, whenever you question, just look to the cross. 
Because whenever you look to the cross and you see the outreached arms of the Savior dying for you so that you might know God, not just for a lifetime but for all eternity, the doubts are erased and you can never again question the love of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. He reached through my junk. He brought forgiveness to my past, purpose to my present, and hope for all eternity. Well, Jesus heard this in verse 9 and was amazed at him. And so turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So Jesus sees this man's faith, and he's amazed. He's amazed because this man hadn't grown up in synagogue. He wasn't Jewish. He was Roman. And yet the man had faith. So much so that he says to all those that had grown up in church, look at this guy. He's your example of what it's really supposed to look like. And so he grants the miracle and the servant is cured. Spiritual growth in your life is a story of faith. Look back over your life, those moments whenever you grew, those moments when you found yourself going from here to here spiritually, and God was really active in your life and your heart was tuned into Him. If you look back over those moments in your life, they're always accompanied by you taking steps of faith. Sometimes God calls us to take a step, and it's easy. This is where you want me to go, God? Okay, I'll go. And then sometimes God calls us to take a step of faith, and we freeze. We become like the child at swim lessons. It's time to jump off the diving board into the deep end. And so we go out there to the deep end, and the instructor says, okay, on the count of three, you're supposed to jump. The instructor says, one, Two, three. Okay, let's try it again. One, two, three. And we just kind of freeze. So instead of enjoying the depths of the living water, instead of continuing our growth as a Christian, we put on the little floaties and we hang out in the kiddie pool because God brought us to a point of faith and we froze. Now we're Christians, so we keep doing Christian stuff. We go to church. We carry the Bible. We look the part. But inside, we're frozen. Sometimes we blame others, maybe even change our surroundings. But when that doesn't work, we just morph our faith into something that's really, really safe. Some of you, though, are wanting something more. Some of you are wanting to live in the faith world. You don't want to be frustrated. You don't want to be discouraged. You don't want to be frozen. You want to swim the depths of the living water. You want to experience the hidden treasures that are found when you truly live your life trusting Him in all things. Whatever you do, don't exchange the steps of faith for steps of safe. Trust God. Trust Him. Let Him write the story of your life. Let Him bring the turns and twists into your world. Place your faith in Him.
And when you do, you better hang on. Life's about to get a lot more fun. You say, but it's probably going to get a little more adventurous too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ash, what if it kills me? He's got that covered. Okay? It's kind of the heart of the message, okay? He's got it covered. You trust him. He'll write the story of your life. You live it one page at a time and experience the joy that only God can bring to you. Live in the faith world. It's a great adventure. Would you stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? It might be in your life right now. There's an area where God has been pressing up against you and saying, yep, you need to live in the faith world there. It might be in your relationship with your family, your children, your spouse. It could be in your finances and your career. During this time that we call the time of commitment, you can sing, you can pray. You may feel led to pray at your seat. Come down here to the front and pray. It's always my joy to pray with you if there's an area of your life that I can be an encouragement to you. Could be that today needs to be the day where you take that initial step of faith and become a believer in Christ. I'd love to be a pastor to you and to help you with that step. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this example that we have seen today nestled in Scripture of faith. And we realize that in each of our lives there there are moments. There are moments where we either trust ourselves or trust you. There are moments where we either try to be God ourselves or submit ourselves to your Godship. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to live in the faith world. Help us, Lord, to realize that we have to trust you in all things. And so with those little children that are growing up underneath our roof, help us to live in the faith world. In our marriage, help us to live in the faith world. When it comes to the finances that you've given us, help us to live in the faith world. When it comes to our career, to the significance of our life, to the opportunities that we desire, may we live in the faith world and trust you to be God. And I thank you, Lord, that in you there is no corruption, there is no deceit, there is not a scandal to break tomorrow, but in you there is holiness, complete trustworthiness, and there's love and grace that has been extended to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.